As I mentioned earlier, my mom is here, and it's amazing. It's a special treat to have my, my own mom here hearing me preach on Mother's Day. That's great. Uh, my wife is, is a, an amazing mother. She just has a natural ability to nourish and show unconditional love to her kids. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for those two moms in my life, that's for sure. But with mothers, it's not easy being a mom. And I never fully understood that until I started watching my own wife and, and become a mom and, and just see her fall into that role and what she did with, with, uh, with the sacrifice and the grace that she did for our kids, to see that compassion. And one of the reasons I think that most people take for granted everything their mother does for them to a certain extent, they don't understand the fullness of that. And it's because we have a really hard time understanding and fully knowing what we can't see happen behind the scenes. All right, behind the scenes, moms sacrifice, they take action. They do all these things so that we can fully experience and feel what we feel. That's very much the way it is with mothers. They're constantly doing things behind the scenes to mold and shape their children for the future. And 90% of the time, kids don't even comprehend it. Well, in this spiritual warfare series, if you've been with us the last couple weeks, we have seen that the complete opposite is the fact with Satan and his demons. I hope we're all becoming aware that they do the same thing. Now, please don't misquote me, all right? I'm not comparing demons with mothers. That would be a horrible move on Mother's Day. Uh, you can't misquote me on that. I have my own mom here to back me up. What I'm comparing is the behind-the-scenes action that goes on with the fact that demons and Satan, they are working very, very hard to trip you up and to make you fail. The complete opposite end of the spectrum. We're comparing the tireless, behind-the-scenes commitment and effort. From moms, it's out of love. They are committed to you. They're doing the best that they can for you because they love you and they care for you. Thank you, moms. In this present darkness with Satan and his fallen angels, the cosmic forces of evil, it's actually out of hatred for you. They hate you because you were made in God's image. You were a little prism of who God is. And you were a living, breathing statue of him. And for that very reason, the enemy despises you and they want to defeat you and take you down. Now, I took that risk to make that comparison, uh, but I hope you get that correlation. As great as your mom is, Satan is that much more, and demons are that much more against you. They are not for you. Now, we've ended both of our last two messages with the truth that as scary as that may sound, you still have nothing to fear because even though Satan is fighting battles, Jesus has already won the victory. Can I get an amen for that? Jesus has won that victory, and he loves us. So spiritual warfare is a battle that is raged in our minds. And if you're not aware of what the enemy is trying to do to you, you can very easily be deceived. This morning, we are going to continue our Standing Strong Spiritual Warfare series by moving to the next three pieces of armor. So take your Bible, please. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses 16 and 17. And we are going to see the next three ways that we can stand strong on the ground that Jesus Christ has already won for us. 
that's what this series is about, and that's what we're going to continue to see in verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. So in your notes there, you can see the first point today is hold up the shield of faith. Another way to say that is trust God with the shield of faith. Verse 16 begins with the phrase, in every circumstance. So just like the last three pieces, I knew it, I knew we could hear the kids from here. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but just like the first three pieces were necessary and important, and you had to do it, there was not an option, it's the same thing here. And history tells us that for the Roman soldier, there were two types of shield that he could have. Okay, the first one was a smaller round shield. Think like a 28-inch New York-style pizza. It's a big, huge, round shield, and the Roman soldier would carry that in their offhand, usually with a sword in their, in their fighting hand, and they would have that for combat, just going head-to-head, -head, right at it. Now, that's actually not the shield that Paul is referring to here, because in the original Greek, we don't have the shield that most people have in their minds. It's actually the larger type of Roman shield, and this was like more like a door, all right? It was four and a half feet tall, it was two and a half feet wide, and it was made out of wood, but the Romans would cover that wood in leather calfskins, uh, or, le you know, some type of leather, and often they would soak that leather in water or in some oil. And the reason they did that was because the Germanic barbarians who the, who the Romans were fighting against they would shoot flaming arrows. And if they had that, that oily substance on the leather, it would dissolve and extinguish that fire before it spread. So what they would do is they would dip their arrow, whatever their, whatever their javelin or missile, any type, of, any type of missile or spear, a dart, whatever that was, they would wrap it with cotton on the end, and, and they would dip it in some tar and some pitch and then light it on fire right before they shot it off. So when it hit its target, it would splatter flames everywhere. But if you had this shield that could extinguish and dissolve that flame before it spread, that was a huge advantage to have on the battlefield. So these shields were meant to cover the entire person. And that's what faith is for the believer. Our faith covers us and it protects us. Faith is something that supports the entirety of your being. Think the really big shield that you could literally stand behind. The Romans didn't just protect themselves with their shields. They actually worked together with their shields, and they would get in formations to shield off themselves and their comrade, their, their person right next to them in battle. And if anybody's ever seen the movie Gladiator, it actually is 20 years old now this month, and I was talking about this with a few of the guys in my life group this week, but they actually depicted this really well. You had a Roman soldier with the shield in front, and you had the next guy beside him with his shield above his head. The next guy had the shield in front, and they just staggered this above and in front. And they would basically form this armored wall where they could just roll in like a tank on their enemy. And they could just have all the, all the darts, all the arrows just falling off them. They'd get in position, and they would fight. Think the armored tank rolling in where they worked together. And in similar fashion... We aren't meant to live the Christian life alone and stand alone. We are meant to be a body, and there are times when my faith is, of course, going to cover me and protect me, but there's other times when my faith is going to protect you. 
And then there's other times where I'm going to need some help. I'm struggling, and your faith can come in and speak into my life and cover and protect me. Christianity is not a solo sport. Christianity is a team sport. And as we see the biblical portrayal here, it's an army that fights together. So I was reading an article uh, just this week, and it talked about how more than ever, the boomer generations, all right, ages 55 to 75, they need support from the millennials more than they ever have before. They are feeling more disconnected than they ever have. And the same goes for Generation X. They're somewhere in between there. Forever the middle, middle child of the generations. I'm sorry, Gen X. But we all feel this to a certain extent. But right now, people are, are looking around as like, wow, my internship is over. I'm furloughed from work. I'm, I'm, I'm 25 years old. I thought I was doing something. I had a plan, but now I'm living with my parents again. Like, I don't even know if I have my apartment to go back to. A lot of these people are struggling with that for the millennials. And for the, the boomers, they're separated from their families. And, and they're having a hard time dealing with that as well. This is why Hebrews 10 exhorts us not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some, but to exhort one another, encourage one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. We are to gather on Sundays to worship together, but we're also there to support each other and use our spiritual gifts to uplift one another. Satan is not going to stop throwing darts. And this includes sexual temptations, but that's not it. It goes beyond those passions that burn within us to everything else. Darts of distrust and despair, missiles of misery and mockery. He throws javelins of jealousy, spears of selfishness. Satan has a lot of flaming attacks. You have to remember, he is a schemer with methods. He has a coordinated attack on your mind, your emotions, and your will. And the shield of faith acts as armor for your armor. The faith that we have extinguishes so many of those things before they can even touch you. So do you see that phrase in verse 16, the evil one? may say the wicked one in your, in your copy of scripture. But this reminds us that the battle is not against a philosophy. The battle is not against your ungracious boss. The battle is not against your spouse. The battle is against a personal being who is fighting a spiritual battle against you. Now, hopefully we understand this Roman picture, this analogy that Paul paints for us. We have this image in our mind of soldiers with shields and arrows bouncing off them and, and flying all around over their heads. But let me ask you this question. Why is faith a shield against temptation? How does that work? How does faith extinguish those attacks? First of all, let me say that the term faith simply means believing in God. That's what it means. We understand that. God, that is, is the bottom line. Faith in him is the bottom line of the Christian faith. Do you believe that Jesus rose again? Well, then you believe that he has the power to save. And then you believe that he has the power to change you. Everything we have our confidence in comes down to faith. The whole of Christianity is an act of believing in God, that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Believing that the Holy Spirit moved through men to write the Bible, believing that Christ is God, believing that he died, believing that he rose, believing that he's coming again, believing that he will make all things new. This is our faith, and this is what changes everything. You can't have the love of God without faith. That's why Habakkuk 2.4 says, 
the just shall live by faith. In Romans 1.17 says, the just shall live by faith. Galatians 3.11 says, the just shall live by faith. And Hebrews 10 says, the just shall live by faith. When God says something that many times, you have to get the message. Faith, believing in God, is the key, and it unlocks everything, spiritually speaking. It unlocks everything else. Oliver Wendell Holmes was the U.S. Supreme Court Justice, uh, the Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court 100 years ago. And he said a quote that is still repeated today. We still talk about this. He said that it is faith in something that makes life worth living. Did you catch that? It is faith in something that makes life worth living. And that quote, it sounds nice. It really does. It pulls at your heartstrings a little bit. A little sappy, right? But that is a perfect example of really a half-truth that Satan will use to get people's eyes off the main truth that they need to understand. Is faith in your sports team what makes life worth living? If it's just something, could it be anything? Is it faith in your kids? I hope not. These are, this, this quote is partly true, but it's not faith in something. I would say it's hope that makes life worth living. And if you don't have your faith in God, your hope, whatever it's in, will be extinguished at some point in time. So what is faith? Faith is believing God. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And every fiery dart that Satan has ever shot is a lie. And it's in contradiction to our good Father. And if you believe what Satan is attacking you with, you are believing the father of lies and not the father who created you and loves you. When the great missionary John Payton, this is another illustration from over 100 years ago, but this is an amazing missionary, John Payton, he was translating the Bible for the New Hebrides Islanders in the South Pacific. And he found that there was no word in their vocabulary for believe. And this is 120 years ago, and they had no word for trust or have faith. And he had a problem. He's like, how am I going to convey faith? They don't even have a word for it. So one day he's in his hut. He's translating scripture. He's doing the best he can. And one of the natives ran into his house, ran up the stairs, stormed in, and just sprawled out on the chair that was right next to John Payton in his study. And this person said, wow, this feels so good to put my whole weight on this chair as he's like breathing deeply. And then John Payton knew right there, he had his word for faith. It's putting your whole weight in something. It's resting completely in that. And I have talked to so many people just this week in our church. You know, some of them are college students who don't have an internship to go back to. Some of them have been furloughed from work. Some of them are just moms who are just trying to make it to the end of the school year. And you're trying to get through and get past into the next phase here. You have to have faith in God. You need to put your whole trust in him. You need to lean completely on him. The shield of faith is believing and trusting God is who he says he is, and it's relying and depending on him. That's the first way that we stand strong on the ground that Jesus has won for us. And verse 17 gives us the second way. This is the second point today. Have hope through the helmet of salvation. Your notes will say, place on the helmet of salvation. This is all about having hope in him. We all know the importance of helmets. They protect your head. And of all of these pieces of armor that's in Ephesians 6, 
think the helmet, the Roman helmet, is probably the easiest to understand. We all have this image of that bronze Roman helmet with like the red fabric underneath and the inside. They look menacing, but I mean, kids love helmets. I mean, my boys have like three toy helmets laying around the house pretty much at all times. Like, it's, it's just fun to dress up in a helmet, right? We have already seen that all of these weapons that we have, these, these, these pieces of armor, they are all revolving around the gospel. And really, with spiritual warfare, we're seeing that it's waged in your mind. And all of these are in harmony. They all have overlap. So, of course, that when we say place on the helmet of salvation, we don't mean that you put on salvation like it's a hat. You can't do that. You can't save yourself. God saves you by grace through faith. And this entire passage is written to Christians about standing strong and firm in our victor, Jesus Christ. So in the context, placing on the helmet of salvation has to be deeper than just simply being saved, which needs to happen for all of us. It's an it's a act of faith when you trust that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, and you confess your sin, and you respond to him, and you turn to him, turn away from your old ways. That's salvation. But that's not exactly what the helmet of salvation means. Satan is going to want you to believe that your faith isn't strong enough. And when you fall and trip, Satan will accuse you, and he will bring condemnation to your mind. So we have to protect our heads spiritually by focusing on our salvation. And if you were with us last week, we already talked about how these pieces are harmonious. They do overlap. When I was in high school, I had a season of my life where I doubted my salvation for a little while, and it was simply because I wasn't in the Word. I wasn't following Christ. I wasn't walking with Him, and I had some areas in my life that were just in defeat spiritually, and because of that, I doubted if I was even a believer. That's what Satan wants to get to. He wants to get to that place with everyone, because if you start doubting your salvation, you're not going to be fighting the good fight that Jesus has for you and shining your light. So let's talk about salvation for a minute. There are past, present, and future elements of our salvation. We need to understand this. The past element of our salvation is justification. When you confess your sin, you turn to Jesus Christ, you are saved in the past sense from the penalty of sin. This is what we talked about last week, but Jesus has declared you righteous, just as if you had never sinned, and your sins are washed away and replaced with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is an act of God that happened once and for all. It's the best part of our story, and it's in the past, and it's amazing, but it's not the totality of our salvation. You also have the present sense of salvation. This is sanctification. This is the effect of justification that we are still being saved in the present tense, day by day, from the power of sin. Do you see that? The power of sin does not control you or own you anymore once you have Jesus Christ. This is sanctification. The longer we walk with Christ, the more he makes us like himself, and the less sin has power over us. So the past heals us from the punishment and the penalty of sin. The present heals us from the power of sin. And the future heals us from the presence of sin. We have a future glorification coming. That's the future component of our salvation. Glorification is all throughout the New Testament. It's when our sin nature is finally and completely eradicated once and for all. It's when we are living in the eternal new earth 
with Jesus as king, and there will be no more sin, no more death. It's amazing. I can't wait for that. Look at what Revelation 21 says about that. Uh, you don't have to turn there right now. I don't have the screen behind me. But Revelation 21 verse 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. There shall be no mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's the hope that we have. So when you hear the word salvation, don't just think of the one-time act that God saved you in your past. That's an amazing element of it. We should rejoice in that every day, but there's so much more going on. It also includes our sanctification, and it includes the hope that we have in our future glorification. Without the future hope element of the new earth and the glorification that's built into our salvation, we wouldn't have a lot of hope right now. We just wouldn't. I hope you see that. The future element of salvation means that we will reach a point where there will be no sin at all. There will be no sickness. There will be no death. No corrupt evil in the highest places. No spiritual forces of darkness working against us and conspiring against us. We have that to look forward to. And in reality, without that hope, we would just have hope in ourselves. And it would be a much darker picture. When people lose this hope and they don't see this hope, this is how they get discouraged and down mentally. This is how people go into those dark wormholes and they try to turn everything into conspiracy theory. And they try to figure out all the problems in the here and now, right now. And they try to hold on and save America. And they get mad at everybody else who's not doing what they need to be doing. Now, we're seeing in our spiritual warfare series, there is most definitely spiritual forces at work behind the scenes. So you can just say, hey, I do know that there is a movement behind the scenes that's working for a one-world government to usher in the Antichrist. So there's probably a lot of that that's probably partly true, but I don't have to focus entirely on that. I don't have to give Satan so much credit. That's the only thing I think about, the only thing I talk about, and I'm so consumed with that that I'm, I'm just, I get angry and worked up and fired up. Be aware. Know that it's out there. Know that it's behind the scenes, but don't let that consume you. Be, have awareness, but stand firm on the ground that Jesus Christ has already won the victory. I have hope that one day, this present earth that's not my home will be restored and renewed to the new earth that God has for me. And I have seen people, they, they get so focused on Satan's game plan, and they lose focus of the victory that we have in Christ, that they, don't, they forget that they're supposed to be an ambassador for Christ. And that our... That our, that our battle is a spiritual battle. It's not a here and now that we can touch and hold and feel right now kind of battle. We only have so much time, so we can't spend it studying every single last thing everyone did 30 years ago that leads up to the point that we're at right now. No, what does Jesus have for you to do right now? Let's acknowledge that all these things that get labeled conspiracy theories, yeah, part of it, I'm sure it's true. How much? I don't know. That's okay. I don't have to be consumed with that because I love Jesus and I have a mission for him. I'm not going to be oblivious to the fact that it's going on, but I'm going to trust that Jesus Christ won the victory and he is there for me. He will protect me and I can actually move forward 
through his strength. Let's put our hope in the salvation that we have in Christ and the glorification that is awaiting us. Salvation brings hope like nothing else. The helmet of salvation protects you from fainting. It protects you from giving up and from growing weary. Why? Because we have hope, and our hope is that there's a new day coming. And someday we'll be in the presence of Jesus Christ. And we're not going to care about all these things that are going on right now. The helmet of salvation rests in the past justification. It energizes you in the present, and it motivates us by looking to the future. That's the second way that you stand on the ground that Jesus Christ has won. Now, the sixth piece of armor in this series, it's the third piece that we're going to look at today, is the first offensive weapon. The first five were all defensive weapons. Point number three here is slay the enemy by the sword of the Spirit. Your notes... It says, take up the sword of the Spirit. This is what we slay the enemy with. So everything up to this point was about standing strong in a defensive posture. We really emphasized that last week. Now, with this last weapon, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, our final piece, this is the last piece of armor. It's the only offensive weapon. Now, some people will say that there's not six pieces of armor. There's seven pieces of armor, David. And I've actually heard this. They have a really good case to be made for this because they look ahead and they say, wait, prayer is another piece of spiritual armor. Well, I would say, I see that you're on the right track there. I like where you're going with that. But if you look ahead in verses 18 and 19, not only does it talk about prayer, but it also talks about opening your mouth up and boldly speaking the word of God. So I would say instead of prayer and witnessing being the seventh and eighth pieces of armor, I would say that prayer and speaking the word both fall under the sixth offensive weapon, taking the sword of the Spirit. You pray the word of God, the sword of the Spirit, and you speak the word of God to other people. Do you see that? There's no, you know, to follow Paul's really tight, amazing analogy here, there's, there's no, like, Roman piece of armor that describes prayer or witnessing. They both are pieces of the word of God. So we must remember that with the Word of God, we are speaking the truth that the same way that Jesus defeated Satan. What was Jesus' move when Satan attacked him? He quoted Scripture. That was his first move, and that was his only move. Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I hope you see that every single one of these pieces of armor are rooted in God's word. With the belt, it's where we find truth. With the breastplate, it's how we know what righteousness even is. I wouldn't have a shield of faith if it wasn't for the word of God. It's foundational to the hope for the future that we have in the helmet of salvation. And this last piece is the one that we're going to dive deeper into next week because Paul elaborates so much on it. But we have five different defensive armor pieces, and we only need one offensive weapon. We only need one. Every single attack that Satan will bring our way can be defeated by the word of God. And we need to remember that. Our enemy knows this more than anything, and this is why he does his very, very best to keep us out of the word of God. He knows that if he can keep us away from meditating on scripture, we won't move forward. We may stand strong, until, you know, but until we start 
swinging this weapon and praying and speaking it over other people, we won't be pushing back the darkness. Once you find Jesus, you need his word more than anything else. And if you are complacent and apathetic about the word of God, you may not even feel like Satan's attacking you. And that's because you're already in a position where you're shortchanging yourself. And Satan knows he has you where he wants you. Don't ever forget your desperate need for the words of life. Let them fill your mind. And as you do that, they will change your spirit. So the question is, how much of the word of God are you consuming? Are you consuming God's word? Do you see it, how crucial it is for every single one of these spiritual elements of spiritual warfare? What is a soldier? What good is he if all he can do is stand his ground? You know, that's a huge component for sure. After the last two weeks, you cannot underestimate that, standing your ground for Jesus Christ on the, on the victory that he has. But if a soldier doesn't have an offensive weapon in their arsenal at all, are they really even a soldier? Are they more just like cannon fodder, right? Is that what you want to be? It's like worse than being a pawn in chess. Even the pawns move forward when they participate in the offensive attack. You just, you just have to know how to use it. So we cannot be a token pawn in this game and let Satan make moves around us. You won't last in the battlefield for very long if you don't know how to handle and use the word of God. We must memorize God's word, meditate on God's word, and talk about God's word with each other. Trust God with the shield of faith. Have hope through the helmet of salvation and slay the enemy by the sword of the spirit. That's how you stand strong on the ground that Jesus Christ has already won for us. And that's how we become more than conquerors through him who loves us. I'm going to have the worship team come back right now. And we're going to close in a word of prayer. But spiritual warfare is something that we have to engage with with our minds. That means we don't just read scripture and check off a box that we have it. That means that we literally think through how is the Holy Spirit speaking to me? You're praying. You're asking him to fill your thoughts and your mind with truth. And then you go out and you live that. You pray it and you speak it to others. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we are so thankful that you have given us your word. That we have this sword in our hands. So that we can slay the enemy that comes after us. We can stand strong on the strength and the victory that you've already provided. And that you have given us your truth. So that we can soak our minds in it. So that we can compare and contrast falsehood. And we can discern what you really have for us. We can find out who you say we are. Lord, may we be tethered to you and your word this week. In our lives as we move forward, may we give our devotion to seeking truth in your word, to holding the shield of faith, to resting in all the goodness of our salvation, the fullness of what that is. Meditate how you've saved us through justification. You're sanctifying us and changing us every day. And we have a hope and a future for today. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you stand up?
such a friendship to be with you, my